0: Thank you, brother. Good morning. I'm glad you have come today. I'm glad you, I'm delighted that you made the choice to be with God's people today, to worship, to serve, to give, take communion together. And if you didn't come, I don't know what we would do. So, welcome to you. Um, I am just, I'm grateful for this new. Sermon series that our pastor Davis launched uh, called Think Again. Uh, when he first started talking about that, he talked to me, told me about it some time ago, and I said, Think again. Hmm. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, ooh, this is one of the crucial things that God calls us to do, to think again, because so much of what God tells us seems to be puzzling, it's sometimes even like upside down. And so this really is about us focusing on like one or one characteristic of the life that Jesus wants us to live and hopefully thinking again about why that's important. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 20 and I want to talk to you about greatness, God's way, the way of servanthood. The longer I live, the more I see the need for us to have like higher learning, an understanding of the truth of God as opposed to the things that are coming at us all the time from the world and from our own flesh and from the evil one who is always trying to tell us lies. So we need, we need to make sure we're thinking accurately. You have to think accurately in order to know what it is you should do and feel and believe. There is a place in the Old Testament scripture, Isaiah chapter 55, that helps me a lot. It's verse 8 and 9. You're probably familiar with it. But if you're like me, you need to review it on some kind of regular basis where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've had the tendency over the years to think that God thinks just like me. And the more I read the book, the more I realize, not so much. I need to think again about God's thoughts. And this is a very actually humbling verse, isn't it? I mean, it really puts us in our place. It tells us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than ours. So what do we do? We listen and we think again and we try to understand why it is that God wants us to understand this how he wants us to think, and what it is he wants us to actually do. God's thinking is higher than mine. It's higher than yours, and God's ways are higher than your ways. For me to be able to live the kind of life that Jesus wants me to live, I need to think again about so many things in my life. And that's really what God has been doing in your life. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, he's really re-educating you in so many ways, right? That's why it's sometimes very difficult. Sometimes it's why it's exhilarating and wonderful. But other times it's really challenging. And sometimes we just don't want to hear it because it's pretty radical. So I want to talk to you about something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. And this is familiar to you. And one of the problems about familiarity is is that we think, well, I've heard all that before, so it must not apply very much to me. Uh, Let me set the context a little bit. This is the last part of the Gospels, and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows the time has come for him to be betrayed, to be crucified, die, and rise again the third day. He knows it's coming, and he's making his final trip to Jerusalem, and he's teaching his disciples along the way. And, and much of this old te- the Gospels are filled with the teaching of Jesus, particularly about the kingdom of heaven. Again and again, Jesus will say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And his disciples missed most of it. In fact, we're still wrestling with some of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven, trying to understand it for ourselves. But those disciples were like, ooh, man, it was difficult for them. He taught them many things about the kingdom, but one thing he just put in there, in chapter 19 and verse 28, he said, I'm going to sit on my glorious throne, and you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. And they heard that. (laughs) They missed a lot of other stuff, but they got that one. I mean, we're going to sit on a throne? Whoa! You know, we're going to sit with you, we get a throne? Glory, right? Right? They heard that one, and that one stuck in them, right? Even though so much else was sort of passing by them. And, and right at that moment, Jesus also said, but first, before the glory, and he said it so bluntly and clearly, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and the third day I'm going to rise again. And that went whew, right by them. They just didn't get it now there's a reason for that it's a very human reason They understood so much of what the Old Testament taught about the Messiah. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, and a lot of them are thinking, okay, now is the time for him to show himself and reveal himself as the Messiah, the conquering king who will set up his throne in Jerusalem and throw off all the enemies, and we will share in his glory. But what they didn't get was buried in the Old Testament in so many places that first before he comes as a conquering king, he comes as a Savior to save people from sin and death so that His Father can give His people the glory. Are you with me? So there's a first and a second coming of Jesus, right? You know He's coming again, right? Yes. Oh, okay, good. So, But they, they were thinking about the second coming and they didn't really understand this whole thing about the suffering Messiah. That was like... they. I mean, what a terrible idea that the, that the Messiah would come and he would suffer. So many times I, I read the Gospels and I think these guys were really dim bulbs in so many ways. They just, I mean, it was like, whew, you know. But frankly, it's, it's quite easy to be critical of them now, here. Because they, they didn't have the whole story like you have the whole story. You get the first and second coming and the need for the cross. They it was not understood by them in fact it wasn't understood by most of the religious leaders they thought when the messiah comes, it's going to be all glory and surely the glory is coming jesus actually said many things that are puzzling and again the more you read the book the more you read his word you think oh is that right like the last verse of chapter 19 you may have seen seen it there in your Bible where Jesus says, you know, and the first will be last and the last will be first. You've heard this before? No. You know what that means? No. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> so, well, I kind of know what, some of what it means, but I only know some of what it means, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. So if you're last in line, you're really first. And if you're first in line, you may be last. And But Jesus said many things like this that seem strange to us. And so we Think again. So, I want to suggest to you that you follow me today and let's think about being a servant. And our text this morning is verses 25 to 28. Here's what happened they're walking on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying very bluntly and plainly, We're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die and be, you know, be crucified, die, rise again the third day. And the very next thing that's recorded is a mama comes with two of the disciples and they say together, we have a request of you, Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want? And, and they say, when you come in your glory, I would like one of my sons to sit on your right and one of my sons to sit on your left. Now think about that for a moment. What incredible presumption, right? And they just missed that he's going to suffer and die and now they want to get the right throne, right? So, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You, well, you can read it. So, what should they have understood? What should they, what should they know? Right? The, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus gives them this radical teaching about the true nature of the kingdom, and they missed it. And I am sometimes critical of them that they missed it. But then when I think more deeply about myself, I think, Oh, but I have the same tendency to think about greatness and glory in the same way that the world thinks about it. And Jesus was trying to teach them, no, it's a different thing. So Jesus does the same thing he always did when there was a division among the disciples. And they began to divide up. Ten of the guys, you know, were mad at the two who asked for the special thrones. You know, so there began to be a division among the disciples. And every time that happened, Jesus gathered them all together and he taught them. It was like a teaching opportunity. So now he brings them together, and now we see verses 25 to 28. Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. You get that, don't you? The Gentiles are the world, right? Everybody in the world, everybody who has authority. You ever had anybody exercise authority over you? You ever had anybody lord it over you? This is the way of the world, right? I mean, it happens to us constantly, everywhere, in almost every circumstance, There's somebody who wants to lord it over us or exercise authority over us. So Jesus says, you know this is the way of the world. But then he says these key words, not so with you. You're different. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Not so with you. You're supposed to be different. You know that, don't you? I mean, we talk here about becoming like Jesus, right? And you want to be like Jesus? you're afraid to say. Do you want to be like Jesus? Yes, yes we do. Down deep in us is this desire. Is it an easy thing to do? We can't even figure it out sometimes about what we would do. What is greatness? Jesus said if you want to be great then you become a servant. That In the eyes of God true greatness is about servanthood. Well from my perspective in so much of life, greatness is not about being a servant. I have to think again about this one, is it really? Well, what is greatness to you? If you said somebody is great, and then you ask I ask you why are they great, so many times we would say, Well, they're great because they're like on top, right? They're in charge, they they have power and position, or they're famous, or they're wealthy, or you know, in other words, they're they're first in line, right? They're not the last, they're like Number one, they control things. They have what they want, and I tend to think of greatness the same way, don't you? I, I, I want to be great, but that means I want—I want to do what I want, right? And I want to call my own shots, and I want to be in charge of my life. And then Jesus comes along and says, "No, real greatness is about being a servant." And I go, yeah, "Really? I don't want to have people, t- everybody telling me what to do." There's something in me. And don't I have this right to the pursuit of happiness? You ever heard this before? The Pursuit of happiness? Isn't it about me and my pursuit of happiness? I have a right to that. Jesus says, greatness is servanthood. So what are some of the crucial things we should learn from this? One thing I would suggest is very clear. The world has its way, but we, the people of Jesus, are not to be this way. We are to be different people. I hope you never, never get away from this in your whole life, that you as a follower of Christ are called to be a different person. You're called to be different from the world. We don't like this sometimes because many of us just want to fit in. This is not a problem just of young people. And stuff. All of us want to fit in. We want to belong. We want people to think of us well. But Jesus is saying, look, the way of the world is not our ways. You've got to think differently so you can be different in the world, greatness is about ability and skill and accomplishments and power and control and money and success. We got a long list of the great people. If you tried to make a list, write down who are the great people in our world, what would you, what, who would you put, right? We tend to immediately to go to those things, but then God's kingdom values are greatness is about things like humility, right? and service, and patience, and love, and forgiveness, and giving, and sacrifice, and kindness. These are the great things in the eyes of our God. And all those things are things of servanthood. So greatness in God's eyes comes by servanthood. It's interesting to me that Jesus never said, never condemned them for wanting to be great. He didn't say, you selfish, self-centered, when are you ever going to stop thinking about you being great? If that's what they were doing, we want to sit on the thrones and have the glory. He never condemned their desire to be great. Huh. So here's the question, does God want you to be great? Yes. Yes, he does. But he wants you to be great in his way, not in the ways of the world. That's, one of, that's a parallel thought to this. He wants us to be a servant and he wants us to be great. And he wants us to be great in the way of a servant. And in God's eyes, the servant are the great ones. The problem is, is that the creator is unhappy with the way that we pursue greatness. He isn't delighted with our desire to get greatness in the same way that the world gets it. He wants, Jesus wants us to think again about what true greatness is. So let's think a a little bit more about this word servant. Servant. Does that appeal to you? You like that? Be a servant? Be a servant all the time? You like that? Do you wake up in the morning and think, I'm gonna be a servant today, (laughs) right? I wanna be the best servant I can possibly be, you know? It sounds real churchy, you know. It's like religious. This is the stuff pastors talk about, you know. We're all servants and we all go, yeah, 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 we're supposed to be servants, you know. But honestly, when you think about it, it doesn't sound very appealing, actually. Or does it? Is it our highest priority? (laughs) Probably not. Is it my idea of success? What is success? How would you quantify success? What is success for you? What, is, what does it mean to be important? What would it be for you to be great? I have a tendency to think success and greatness is when people serve me, right? I mean, that's only natural, right? It just seems logical, right? So, when I'm being waited on, when I'm in control, when I can call the shots, when I can tell other people what to do, when I get what I want, when I have status and importance, then that is great. Jesus gives this rather shocking illustration in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven. 27. He says, the master comes in and sits at the table, and the servant comes to wait on him and to provide, give him food to eat. And Jesus asked the question, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And then Jesus answers his own question before they have an opportunity to say something. Is it not the one who sits at the table? And everybody goes, well, duh. (laughs) Of course, The one who sits at the table is greater, obviously, because the other guy is serving him. And the lesser serves the greater, right? And then he throws us a curve. The very next statement is, but I am among you as one who serves. Do you see how, like, earth-shaking that is to our sense of what is greatness? Jesus said, I'm not the one at the table. I'm the one who serves. So if you're going to be like me, be a servant. Do you think a lot about this? Do you spend a lot of time thinking, how can I be a better servant? Uh, Do we pray about this, you know, in our small groups? Do we encourage each other? Let's all get together and help each other how to be better servants, you know. Will you help me be a better servant? When's the last time you said something like that? Not so much, right? It's like, eh. This is sort of comes at us sideways, and we think, oh, yeah, this is, we're supposed to do this, right? But this is God's idea of greatness. It's not his idea only. It's who he is. Servant. Servant. When I think about the, the word servant and actually being a servant, I think of it in, both in sort of almost negative hard part and then there's the positive part. And, and for much of my life, I never really thought too much about the positive part of being a servant, but there is a huge positive part of being a servant and that's the thing that we ought to understand that Jesus is asking us, he's compelling us, he's teaching us, telling us we are to be this way and it's the best way to live. We get the hard part, Of being a servant I mean if I'm a servant then people are always I mean telling me what to do and I have to be like giving all the time and someone else is sort of over me you know and I'm supposed to be always thinking about how to help other people and and what but then I have this thing in the back of my mind what about me I'm supposed to be happy right I have a right to the pursuit of my own happiness and what about me what about my rights When do I get served, right? And the more you're in this sort of servant position, the more that this can sort of grate on you. When do I get for me? Being a servant, I'm not suggesting to you that this is an easy thing at all. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's hard to be a servant. It's hard to have the heart of a servant. It's hard to act like a servant very consistently in very much of our lives. But what's the good part about being a servant? Is there a good part about being a servant? Oh, yes. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When you grasp the goodness of being the servant of the master, it will become a lot more appealing to you, and you will understand why he said, live this way. If I'm a servant, then my needs are being met by my master. You see, in that culture and context, they knew about masters and servants. And, and it was true in the Greek and Roman Empire that if a master had servants and he treated them harshly and badly and starved them and put them in rags, then that, that master was, was looked down upon by all society. But if that master looked at his servants and dressed them well, educated them, fed them well, gave them positions of responsibility, uh, then that master was looked at as wise and he was looked up to my friends you have a great master don't you so if you are a servant you have a great master one of the wonderful things about being a servant is that our needs are provided by our master another thing is i don't have to do everything for myself I mean, there's some freedom in that, some immense freedom in that. I have to decide everything for myself? What a burden we carry. Oh, we've we got to figure it all out, right? We have to solve all the problems. We have to answer the questions. We have to figure out our life. We have to chart our path. We, have to, we, we, we tend to think that we are the ones who have to decide everything. But when this servant thing comes into play and you begin thinking of yourself, no, wait a minute, I'm a servant. What does a servant do in this? Is the servant deserving of all the answers? Have you noticed that God doesn't give you all the answers? I mean, I got a lot of questions and he has never said, oh, let me tell you everything you want to know, right? A lot of the why questions, a lot of the when questions, He just, you know. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are some things that are hidden in the mind of God and they're not revealed to us. And it's probably going to be that way forever because he's God and we're not. The great thing about being a servant is we have a great master and we can trust him for everything. Really? Everything? you trust him? Do you trust him? in your life. Are you a servant with a great master, a great loving, caring, compassionate master? Do you have to fix all the problems in your life? What a burden that is. But if I have a master who sees and knows and has ability, I can trust him. He may not fix everything in the way in which I want it fixed, or even in the timing I want it fixed. But if he he is wise and good and powerful, and he is my master, then I can finally relax some. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I think Christians ought to learn to relax some. I mean, we are just, well, we won't get into that. So. Really all of this is liberating stuff. It's freedom kind of things. I can relax, I can trust another, I can depend upon someone else outside of myself. I don't have to figure everything out. I can rest in his wisdom. I can let him answer whatever hard questions that I face and if he chooses not to answer the questions I I can submit to him and trust him. I don't have to plan out my whole life. It is not all about me and my smarts and my wisdom and my plan. And this is the truth about God's way to live as a servant. Being a servant sets me free. Free from what? Well, one thing is pride. There's something down deep in me that makes me think about myself all the time. You know that one? You spend a lot of time thinking about yourself? Yeah, you do. I mean, admit it, right? It's part of this flesh thing. There's something about us that we want to be recognized. We want to be thanked, we want to be rewarded, we want to be important. So are you recognized, are you thanked, are you important? Are you rewarded? Oh yes, oh yes, my friends. But not from the world. Have you noticed this? Not from the world. The reward and the thanks and the appreciation and the acknowledgement and the greatness comes from somewhere else. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get us to think again about where greatness comes from and what kind of greatness do you want. You can give your life to seeking greatness in this world. Good luck. But God is saying, look, there's another source of greatness from me. Another direction, if you will that greatness comes from. Being a servant, I've discovered, brings peace in my life. More of a, and, and this really hard thing that's been really hard for me most of my life, contentment. Contentment. When you're a servant you have a tendency to be content with what the master provides or doesn't provide. Being a servant strengthens my ability to forgive people because they too are servants. Being a servant enables me to persevere, to keep going, to trust God, to take faith risks, to not be controlled all the time by what I want, to be generous with other people, to give away, because it actually all belongs to the Master anyway, to grow in my ability to love people, and to love people who are hard to love. In fact, one of the very best ways to love somebody that's hard to love is to serve them. Whoa, Jesus even said, love your enemies, right? The way of Jesus is the good way. It's always been the good way. But we have a tendency to attach certain words like servant to the way in which our flesh looks at it or the world looks at it. The great thing about being a servant is all of us can do it this isn't for some super saints somewhere this is for all of us everybody can be a servant true or not it's true is it true or not it's true if everybody can be a servant the way Jesus wants us to be a servant then everybody can be great in the way that God wants us to be great so how and when and where am I to be a servant and this gets down to the like the nitty-gritty of life, where? Well the answer is actually very simple, but not at all easy. It's everywhere. Oh everywhere? In all the aspects of my life, in every like compartment and in every relationship and every place I go and where I work and school and home and parents and children and friends and neighborhood and does God want me to be a servant in all those places all the time? Sounds overwhelming. Malcolm Bain, pastor, said it like this If you wait until you can do everything for everybody instead of something for somebody, you'll end up not doing anything for anybody. What it was going going for here, look, you know, being a servant is being a servant in the normal mundane things of life. We have this tendency to think, if I'm going to be great, if I'm going to be a great servant, then I'm going to wait for the heroic times to serve, right? I'm going to just kind of wait until something really cool comes along, and then I'm really going to serve, right? And then everybody will think, ooh, what a great servant, right? (laughs) And then I will be going right down the wrong pathway again. Being a servant is about home. It's about school, it's about friends, it's about people who are hard to love, it's about church, it's about community, it's about nation, it's about lost people. It's for all of us, all the time, everywhere. Not easy to do, but this is what Jesus wants for us. How could that possibly happen? Not if we think of servanthood as a list of things to do. We're not do. We tend to sort of condense Christianity into stuff to do and not to do. they got the good stuff and the bad stuff, and if we can just figure out the right list, then we're, then we're cool. But it's really about the heart, and Jesus kept coming back again at the heart, and this whole servant thing is really about the heart. He's really trying to impress upon us, look, we are servants down deep, and because we are servants, then we serve. And the more you see yourself as a servant, the more you're going to be freed up to serve. In the eyes of our God, the great are servants. And God wants us to be great, but his kind of great. His kind of great. His kind of great. Not just in doing things, but in character, in heart. And not just in certain places that are easier than others, but everywhere. Everywhere then you begin to see that real greatness is not about demanding for myself, it's about a heart that serves. The real greatness is not in receiving, but in giving. The real greatness is not about selfish consumption for what it is I want, but actually being willing to give good things to other people. The real greatness is not about being served, it's about serving other people. And every time I demand to be served, I am not being like Jesus. But every time I get up to serve, I am being like Jesus. It's not waiting for other people to do for me, it's taking the initiative and doing for others. Think about the people that you would say are great. You know any great people? I hope you do. You know any great people? Not, not, maybe not in the eyes of the world, uh, you know, the famous, the wealthy, the beautiful, the powerful, you know, the guys at the head of the pyramid. You know any great people, though? I mean, just great people. What's the characteristic of their life? Why do you think they're great? I'd suggest to you, if you think very deeply about this, you will tend to think that they are great because they are servants. Because they give of themselves, because they do these servant things like kindness and forgiveness and grace and generosity and, and they seem to persevere in it. And you think, well, how can they do that? I'd like to be more like that. And the struggle is real, though. No way around it. Our flesh is so strong. And my flesh is quite happy with receiving. I kind of like that, right? You know? But the blessing of God is found in the giving. So here we are again. So what do you want? You want it to be great? Who's great? What kind of great? One more thing. Of course, Jesus is our example of what it means to serve. Of course, you saw verse 28, just as... The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We see again the greatness of Jesus Christ. Why do you think Jesus was great? Well, he was the Son of God. That's who he is. What did he do? How did he live? And then you begin to see two things. The Son of God, this is who he is... The pure, sinless son of God. He is great because he is God in the flesh. But he is also great because he was a servant. And when you read the book, you see it everywhere. That Jesus moved from here and there. That he gave his whole life to servant. He was raised in humility. Born in a stable. Raised poverty. In poverty, really, he didn't ever have a house, you know, I and mean, he walked everywhere, and whenever he walked anywhere, and you see what he did, he was always teaching, caring, healing, loving people, explaining things, sometimes convicting and wrestling with them so that they would understand the Father. Why? Because he was a servant. And the greatness we see of our master is that he was a servant because of who he is and also because of what he did. And he is saying to us, now do what I do. There's only one time in the scripture where he says, I'm giving you an example that you should do like I have done for you. Do you remember what it was? It's when he got up from the meal and took the robe and put it around him and he washed their feet. Talk about a servant. That was a stunning thing for those guys. Took a long time. And some of them didn't want to have any part of it. It was so weird. You know, this one that they thought was the Messiah washing their feet. And when he got done with it, he said, You've seen what I do for you. Now you do it for one another. This is the greatness of our master. This is the one who died for you. He's given us this clear, convicting teaching. He's helped us to try to figure out what is really the best way to live. And, and again and again, we have to decide... Are we going to believe Jesus or are we going to buy the line the world and our own flesh has given to us? You look at Jesus and you say, he, you know, he seems like he never had to protect his self-image, right? He never had, he never had, the, you never get the impression that him serving other people would somehow diminish him. In fact, it <laughs> elevated him. His service to people elevated him, made him great in our eyes. Why do you think Jesus is great? Why do you think he's wonderful? We sang about it, he's wonderful. No other, no other name like Jesus. Why? Because he was the Son of God? Yes, but also, he was this incredible servant. Wasn't he? And isn't that why you love him? If he had came as the Son of God in his glory and never walked in the flesh and served people, you'd be afraid of him, but you wouldn't love him. You love him because of who he is and what he did. Do you want to know what it means to be a servant? Here it comes again. Be like Jesus. Oh. You ever get tired of us saying that? People standing up here and saying, yeah, we want to be like Jesus. You know, oh, man. You know, be like Jesus again. Geez, this is hard. You know? like, be like Jesus. Now you want me to be like Jesus in this way. You know, And if I come next Sunday, you're going to throw another one at me. Be like Jesus like this. How can you possibly live like that? How can you? He came in humility, poverty, and served everybody. Am i supposed to be like that? He had the heart of a servant. Not just the deeds of a servant, but the heart of a servant. He never insisted on being served, though he deserved to be. But he did insist on serving people. Encouraging them, challenging them, blessing them, healing them, teaching them, just loving them. The summary is this. We should be amazing people. Who? Us. We. You. Us. Sitting right here in the pew. We should be amazing people in this world. If we got this and lived it more and more we should be startling amazing wonderful people in this self-centered world and I want to suggest to you the people that you respect the most are more and more like this shouldn't we be the most amazing people on the planet you ever thought about that nobody's ever asked me that Shouldn't you? You want to say, well, I'm just like normal. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1 says that's who God chooses. The weak things of the world, right? Yeah. I mean, that's who God chooses to follow him, to be his servants. We should be the most amazing people, not because we got this smarts or because we got the money or the wealth or the fame or anything, but because we are servants. You can just startle people by being a simple servant. And you can do it anywhere. All of us can do this. All of us. Not just the super saints. All of us. Right? There isn't one person who calls himself a Christian who isn't called to be a servant. Right? So that would also include you. So you are called to be a servant too. And you are called to be great. Aren't you? Don't ever think you're you're. Deep desire to be great is something that you need to dismiss. You just need to know where you're getting the greatness and the applause from. So now we do what we do every Sunday. We turn our attention to the table. And this is where, where you begin to check out. So let me ask you not to do that for a minute. I want you to think with me about the last part of that verse, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life A ransom for many some people have said that is the mightiest truth in the Bible that he came to give his life a ransom for many he came to serve people and he came to die for people he lived for people and he died for people our Savior our master the greatness The great master gave his life for me, not just in death, but in life, and now life forever. He didn't die as a martyr for a cause. He didn't die only as an example of what good servanthood is. He died as a ransom for many. He gave his life for many. Who's the many? We are. We are. Are you? Are you one of the many? Do you know you're one of the many that he died for? Are you like me? You think, well, I got a few questions here. (laughs) You know, like, why me and why not others? And, you know, and what about, I can come up with a list of about 15 questions. Well, what about this and what about that? Well, and, and good questions and valid, and probably you'll never find the answer to a lot of them. But the one thing you can know is, I'm one of the many. Are you? So is that, like, really good? To be one of the many? And to know it? To have this deep sense that I'm one of the many? I don't know why. I, 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 it's about, it must be like grace or something like that. But I am one of the many. So... In a moment, you're going to get up, and we're going to do the thing that we usually do. We're going to walk forward and pick up the bread and the cup and take it back to our seats and take it whenever you want. And every time I'm given an opportunity, I, I have this little, like, warning thing in my brain that wants to say, I know what happens to us when we do this. Well, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but so give me some grace here. Maybe I'm unique, but every time we do this, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, let's see, we've got to... We're gonna wait. I don't like to stand in line very much, so I'll just wait until the line's down a little bit, and then I'll walk forward. You know, and I don't know if I'm supposed to talk to other people or not. And this is a very somber time, after all. You know, and then we have to figure out how to get back in the pew when we let other people out ahead of us. And you know, and so we get buried in the logistics of the whole thing. And does that happen to any of you? That's one of the problems with the coming forward thing. You can you can complain about that to the pastor when he gets back. No, no, I, it's really good in a lot of ways too. I didn't talk about any of the good part. I just told you about some of the struggle I have. It's all, it's about me, right? So what I want to do is I want to. I think it'd be helpful for somebody up here to suggest a few things for when you're doing this. Get up, walk forward, pick it up, and take it back. I just have two suggestions that you might whisper a praise to your master and say thank you. That I know, I'm one of the many. Thank you. I'm one of the many. Thank God I'm one of the many. And I want many more. But for now, I'm thankful that I'm one of the many. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then you might want to whisper a prayer. This is kind of hard i do want to be a servant i do want to be great in the eyes of a heavenly father i do want to be like jesus but this is hard and and i have hard circumstances and so my prayer is help me help me be a servant help me today and this week let's pray together so father we ask you Will you help us be servants like Jesus? Oh, the great master, may we more and more day by day grow to be more and more like him in many ways, but especially in this way, to be a servant. Thank you that you've called every single one of us. There isn't anybody left out on this one. All of us are to learn to be servants of the king. Lord, help us to realize how to do some of it. And at the moment in time when it's so difficult, help us, we pray. And oh, by the way, thank you that I am one of the many. We pray these things for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and for our joy. Amen. Amen. The tables are open.